Welcome into the informal podcast. It is always great to hop on the mic and talk some sports and whatever else we get into. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, but the better question is, how are you, buddy? This is your favorite favorite week of the year. Am I wrong? It's Masters Week. It is Masters Week. If you're not pumped to see the Magnolias, to see the, the flowing lush green fairways, to see A-Man Corner, shame on you. Shame on you. Perhaps the best week of the year, you've got 64, 68 golfers all converging on a town in Georgia, and it could not be better. It really could not be better. So are you excited for this tournament? The best part is we're going to use all of our informal ad revenue to be on site and be potting live from Augusta this week, right? Did I, did I miss is that? Is that right? Uh, well, well, I mean, what do you think? I think we should do it. Let's go. How much, okay, how, much yeah. ad, how much ad money do we have in the informal bank account? Hold on. Let me check real quick. All right, yeah. Um, uh, zero dollars. Zero? Okay, that's not enough. That's not enough to go. So we have to sneak in. Hey, just okay. All right, take it off mic. We'll figure it out. We'll give the people. It's not a. It's not an exclusive course, is it? Like you, you got to. It's on a road or something. You could probably just walk on. Is, isn't mean, that right? You're you're the uh, you're the master's master. I don't know. I, I think yeah. Doesn't it like it backs up to a street or something? We could hop a fence somewhere. It'll be fine. Wear a green polo. Get you a, an Arnold Palmer, and we'll blend in. It'll be good. Get all the Palmer and a pimento cheese sandwich that I pay a dollar fifty for, and I'll be good to go. I'll bring my own pimento and cheese sandwich. They won't even know. Well, all right. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, if you can't tell, we are going to talk a lot of Masters in this podcast, and I couldn't be more excited. But there's other things on the docket as well. We got to talk some NCAA basketball as the national championship was last night, where Virginia emerged victorious against Texas Tech and of course get into some soccer Sam's favorite segment of the podcast absolutely we got we got some good takes um, in this soccer section and then talk a little baseball because it's baseball 15 season. things happen every night in baseball it's baseball season it's beautiful too it's awesome to turn on a game so let's start with the NCAA basketball tournament March Madness turned into April Madness, and the two slowest, most offensive teams played last night in the national championship when Virginia played Texas Tech. But let's back it up a little bit, because we haven't done a podcast since the foul, no foul, double dribble, non-double dribble, whatever happened on Saturday night when Virginia played Auburn. So you were not watching this game. Was not still. Isn't that correct? To this day, I have not even seen the replay. I saw Bruce Pearl crying about it, and I almost felt bad for Auburn for a second, and then I didn't. So you'll have to explain to me what exactly happened. Okay, yeah. So every, everybody else in the world besides you has seen it, so I'll make it pretty quick. But essentially, Virginia was down by, I don't know, maybe four, okay? And... There was probably nine seconds left. Kyle Guy hits a three-pointer in the corner to make it one. So then they foul Jared Harper, who Harper has hit, I think they said something like 30 straight free throws. I don't know how many it was, a lot of free throws. And he made the first one, missed the second one, okay? The thing is, Auburn hadn't fouled, but maybe three times all half. So 
They had a bunch of fouls to give. So instead of giving Virginia the advantage of just rushing down the court and having sort of a free-for-all last five seconds to get a good shot off, they fouled to set their defense up, okay? So then they mounted up the free-throw line of the Auburn side of the court. So they've got to go length of the court or whatever. So they inmount it to Ty Jerome. Virginia's do-it-all point guard, shooting guard, whatever. And he dribbles left, and somebody comes to try to foul slash steal the ball for him because, remember, they had a ton of fouls to give. And he tried to go behind his back to evade the defender. It hit his foot and kicked backwards, okay? The Auburn player not touched the ball. It hit his foot and kicked backwards. So he took three steps backwards, picked the ball up with two hands, and continued to dribble down the court. And they eventually fouled him because they had another foul to give. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding that, you know? Basically, he dribbled it off his foot, picked it up with two hands, and then continued to dribble it, which is a double dribble. I don't know if the ref thought that unsure if he could dribble again. It was pretty confident. Either way, it's one of those things where you can't miss that in that situation. It was a double dribble. They missed it, and then they inbound the ball sort of in the standard inbound line where the NBA does if you call a timeout. And... They kick the ball to Kyle Guy, and he shoots a three-pointer. It misses. He puts his face in his jersey. Auburn's going crazy. And then everybody realizes that the ref called a foul. It essentially was the exact same foul that they called in the Tennessee-Purdue game, which I don't know to close your ears on that. but It's rough. I haven't, yeah, haven't got over it yet. It's essentially the same foul, except that he made contact with them before he released the ball. But... The problem I have here, it, full disclaimer, I wanted Virginia to win this game. The problem I have here is they were calling it pretty loose all game. They were letting Tiki's tack stuff go. So how in that final moment are you going to call that foul when it's not a blatant shooting foul? Like, is it a foul? Yes. It, it's by textbook def- definition, that is a foul. But in real-time, live situation, I don't know. I don't know if I would have... Called that a foul, but he did. Technically, it's the right call. Kyle Guy goes to the line. Of course, they're only down by two. He hits all three. Auburn misses their last second heave, and the rest is history. So that's it was a crazy play. It was, you know, a, such a dramatic ending, but definitely some controversy surrounding it. So I know you didn't see it, but I guess just take from context what I'm saying of, you know, you've been in that same situation as a Tennessee fan and also just the ref playing a little bit close to the chest there at the end. Well, as a general rule, college basketball officials are the worst type of officials in the world. Also, I just pulled up the video and yeah, it's a pretty bad call. Um, But that college basketball Referees are terrible. They've always been terrible. They've been are terrible. They better, are they better or worse than college football referees? Way worse. Way worse. And it's infuriating because in basketball specifically, I think even more so than football, one call like that can completely change the game. And I think we talked about it. I think it was on the podcast that that never made never saw the light of day after the Tennessee Purdue game that Tennessee had a lot of chances to win that game before the foul on Carson Edwards. Just like I'm sure Auburn had a plenty of chances to to put that game away. You know, Kyle Guy hits the huge three, I think the possession before that, to to give or you know, to he had a huge shot to keep it close. 
But if that call doesn't get made, Auburn's in the championship game. And, and why are we scared to say that as as fans? Like, all the time you hear beat writers and media people are like, oh, yeah, well, that's not what cost you the game. Even players say it. They're like, oh, that didn't cost you the game. But it kind of did, though, you know? Like, there was other stuff that cost them the game. But that call changed the game completely. If that call doesn't get made, a different team wins. And it's infuriating. Like, whether or not it was a foul, I mean, technically, the guy, the Auburn guy's standing – standing with his feet not moving, with his hands straight up. Like, he kind of leans into him a little bit. But it's just, I don't want to see a Final Four game end on a call like that. And just like in the Tennessee-Purdue game, and you know, in that game, Carson Edwards, a Purdue player, was not asking for a foul. The Purdue bench wasn't asking for a foul. In this one, Kyle Guy's not asking for a foul. He thinks he missed a shot. He thinks the game's over. So why does the referee feel the need to come in and make himself known? It's... It's really frustrating to me. I also did not want Auburn to win, um, but I just I hate to see I hate to see games in like that in general. Was it a foul? I guess technically, but you don't you don't have to call that there. You know, nobody if you don't if he keeps the keeps his whistle in his pocket, no one no one says a word. We're not having right. this conversation. So I think when in doubt, err on the side of just let him play. So one thing that. I've been thinking about a lot lately is the amount of fouls, fouls being called on three-point shots, especially if you look at the NBA with all the fouls James Harden draws whenever he's shooting a three-pointer. It is so hard to contest shots these days, right? Like especially with that rule of moving into the shooter space. So if, if I'm a three-point shooter, I've got almost no fear getting out, like jumping up and trying to shoot a shot even with somebody draped all over me. Because if they move into my space, it's a foul. If they get even close to hitting me in the hand and I, you know, flail my arms, it's a foul. It's just so hard to contest a three-point shot in an era where teams are taking more of them than ever before, to be honest with you. So I don't know the answer to it. I don't know, you know, what to do. But a good shooter can elevate and shoot with no fear over a a defender of the same size because to contest it, they are at a great greater risk of fouling the shooter, I think. And not only that, as the shooter, if when you go up, you shoot, you just train yourself to kick your foot out just a little bit, and then you've extended that area where the defender can't can't come close to you. So as a defensive player, you're left with either you don't contest the shot, you straight up block the shot, or you contest, and if you don't get the ball, you're at risk of getting a foul called. I'm, I'm with you. It's It's... It's a conundrum, that's for sure, and people are just going to keep shooting more and more threes. I mean, Bruce Pearl, I think next year is probably going to shoot all threes. I think he's going to tell his team, no two-pointers or you come to the bench. So it's going to it's going to come to a head at some point, or it's just going to, I mean, maybe it's just going to, it's like baseball. It's just we're going to keep getting more home runs and strikeouts until, until the league collapses on itself. I don't know. So the Virginia-Texas Tech game last night, Virginia wins in overtime. Pretty cool stat that I saw somewhere. Virginia was losing in the last 15 seconds of their last three games, and they won all three of them. <laughs> but all that to say, Virginia won. Do you care? Do you care about what happened last night at all? I mean, I guess, yeah. I, I'm i glad Virginia won. Um, I wish I would have would have allocated some Bitcoins to Virginia because I could have told you that Texas Tech wasn't going to win um, the national championship in basketball. But did I, you know, I, I think I, we talked last night and I told you I was watching the Braves game. 
You know, I watched. I was watching the Braves game, and in between innings, I was fl- flicking over to check the score of the basketball game. And I ended up watching the end of the basketball game, the end of the second half in overtime. And it was a, you know, it was an entertaining game. It was a good game. Um, I think DeAndre Hunter is he is he the guy that hit the huge three for Virginia to tie the game at the end, send it to overtime. Um, Kyle Guy is really good. Ty Jerome really good. Virginia good for Virginia after what happened last year, coming all the way back, winning the national championship. It's a cool story. Good for Tony Bennett. Um, and that's about all I have to say about it. You know, I don't know. It, yeah. It's, I, I, after, after the balls lost in the way they did, I found it difficult to, to engage with the tournament too much. Just to be honest with you. It, there was a lot of emotional baggage there for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I sort of agree. And like you said, we were talking last night and, and cause we were thinking about recording and I was like, I want to watch this game. And, I got into the second half. First of all, the game started at like nine twenty my time. That was ridiculous. What was the deal with that? That was in Minnesota. The game was in Minnesota. It's not like it was West Coast. What are they doing? So it's eight, almost eight thirty Central Time in Minnesota, and for me, it got about maybe I don't know eight minutes into the second half, and I'm laying in bed and I'm exhausted. So I was sitting there debating with myself. Well. I could watch the last with fouls and all that, you know, last hour of this game and be beat tired, you know, going to the field today. Or I could just go to sleep. Like, why not go to sleep? What am I going to miss? In the national championship, do I really care? Like, I felt like I was just watching it because I felt obliged to because I'd watched so much of the tournament. So I turned it off. I didn't see the end of the game because I've the last 12 minutes plus overtime, I did not watch because I went to sleep. So... It's such a freeing feeling. I've done that a couple times too, where like my whole life has been about watching sports basically. So big games like that, I feel I feel like I'm pot committed to watch the whole thing. Several times this has happened. And this past year, my wife and I were on you know, for this the week of the Super Bowl, we were on vacation. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm just not gonna watch the Super Bowl this year. Like I'm twenty six years old. I've never not watched the Super Bowl. And I didn't watch it. I didn't watch any of it. And it's like the most liberating feeling to just, you don't have to, you know, the game's going on without you. And I still know what happened. And I didn't, I had a great time, you know, I had a great time at dinner, not watching the Super Bowl. It was fantastic. So yeah, I, I'm, all our listeners out there listening to this sports podcast, don't feel the need to watch sports. You don't have to. It's just, right. it's just sports, you know, do other things. I'm not going to watch the Masters this week. That's not true. We're gonna that's, that's, that's a total lie. <laughs> You're gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the Masters. If you don't watch the Masters, and I have to carry the golf conversation next week, this is it's gonna be a short podcast. Okay, I want to get the golf, but first we have to talk about what happened with Tennessee and Rick Barnes. Tennessee had a scare. Rick Barnes really contemplated leaving and going to UCLA after approximately 75 other coaches really considered leaving and going to UCLA. He decided to put that against Philip Fulmer and get uh, an extension, more money, which good for him. Everybody likes Rick Barnes. I think everybody's happy that he's staying. So what are your thoughts on that? I know, I know you got some hot takes on this whole thing. A lot of thoughts. So this this came out, the story broke, I think, Sunday night, um, and I saw Rick, Rick Barnes to UCLA. And my first thought is, that's ah, just perfect. You know, it's the most Tennessee thing ever. We finally get a program that's stable and is actually really good and – Looks like it's on the upward trajectory with a coach who has no reason to go anywhere else. This isn't Lane Kiffin, who was like 29 years old and from L.A., you know, and left for his dream job. This we, Our coach is 65 years old, 
He's at like his fifth job. He's two hours away from his hometown. He's going to retire here. Like he has no reason to go anywhere else. And he's going to leave to go to LA for what reason? I have no idea. That was the most befuddling thing to me about it. Like, so apparently Rick Barnes felt disrespected. Like he, his, he's very well paid, but his assistants are kind of, you know, he has to fight to get his assistants raises every year. And he just lost an assistant that took a head coaching job. And I think he felt like at least partially it was because Tennessee wouldn't up his salary. So, okay. You feel disrespected. You're going to take another job. Fine. UCLA never made sense to me. Rick Barnes is like a Southern Baptist, good old boy from the, from Appalachia, you know, he's all the time talking about the faith of his team and how his players are getting baptized and all this, all this great stuff that people in this part of the world really appreciate. And just, could you imagine Rick Barnes talking about that kind of stuff at a press conference in LA after UCLA game? I almost wanted him to go just for that. Like how hilarious would that have been? Right. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good fit. No, no, not from the beginning. It wasn't a good fit. So it didn't make sense to me. And so that's, that's my first thought, is this doesn't make any sense. My second thought is, how upset am I going to be if Rick Barnes leaves? Like, first blush, I would be upset because, you know, it's just, that's Tennessee for you. You have a good thing, and it comes to an end way sooner than it should have. But the longer I thought about it, the less upset I was about him leaving. Is that, you know, I feel like as a fan base, Tennessee fans were just in an uproar. Like, we can't lose this guy. This is terrible. Give him all the money in the world. What are we going to do? Woe is me. Whereas I'm kind of like, this last, you know, the last two seasons have been great and they kind of ended really disappointingly in a really disappointing fashion. Kind of felt like we got out coached in every tournament game this year, even against Colgate. Um, his teams historically have had a tendency of coming up really small. He, didn't even get out of the Sweet 16 when he had Kevin Durant, who's maybe the best college basketball player you know, in the last 20 years. I don't know. He's a good coach. I'm glad he stayed. I really am. But let's let's pump the brakes on. It's a comp. I need you to talk for a minute because I need to process my thoughts. My thoughts on Rick Barnes are complicated, and I'm not sure that I'm I'm eloquently presenting them. So what what did you think as a only pseudo Tennessee basketball fan about Rick Barnes potentially going to UCLA? Sure. My first thought is. If Rick Barnes leaves, Tennessee basketball is done for. You know, I mean, honestly, if he leaves, Williams and Bone are definitely leaving. They're probably leaving anyways. But then you've got to find going on another coaching search, which I feel like Tennessee has been in a, a constant coaching search for the past eight years. So yeah, gotta, I, I'm, I'm starting to get the yips about not having a coaching search in like the last 18 months. It's weird. I don't know what to do. Right, you're like, uh, wait, do we still have the volleyball coach leave? I mean, yeah. So, Lady Vol's got a new coach today. There we go. I was wasn't really invested in that one though. I need I need a big I need a big coaching search. Need Who did they hire? Some woman that I'd never heard of. Just to be just to be frank, a former player that apparently Lady Vol's fans were really mad that they didn't hire someone better. But there, that's Tennessee for you. You go on a ridiculously long and, you know arguably bungled coaching search and end up with someone everyone's disappointed with. So that's on brand. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty classic. So yeah, I mean, my thoughts about Rick Barnes is, you know, he has done a great job at Tennessee. You've got a bunch of, you know, three star players come in and you lead them to what, how many games they won in a row? 18 or something like that. 30, 31 total wins. I'm, I don't remember how many in a row, but yeah, 31. I mean, total. a lot of wins. 
a lot of wins and, you know, just had the program on the up. And so if you want to take that away, another coach is going to come in and he's going to build the program differently. He's going to do things his way and it's going to be a while until they return to prominence, if ever, with the new coach. And so, and there was no immediate name on the horizon that, you know, was going to take the job because UCLA had already vetted all of them and everybody <laughs> was staying, you know, so. They already got everybody raises. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just, I think that um, it, it's great for Tennessee that he's staying as much as, you know, you want to say that, I don't know, you have a complicated relationship with him and all that stuff. You know, I think he's essentially and, you know, ultimately good for the Tennessee program as a favorable bystander of opinion. And, you know, I, I think it was I think it was good for him. OK, so at the end of the day, I agree with you. This is a this is a good thing. Rick Barnes leaving, not only leaving, but leaving like a week after all the other jobs have already been filled by the good candidates would have been a tragedy for the program. It would have undoubtedly undone all the progress that he's made over the last four years. What I'm trying to get at is that the things can be two things at the same time. So Rick Barnes can simultaneously be a great coach and be a bad coach. If that makes sense. Like he gets all the credit in the world for developing guys like Schofield and bone and Grant Williams from, you know, non-recruited, under-recruited three-star guys into all-conference, all-SEC NBA players. He absolutely gets credit for that. He took those guys and won 31 games in a season, the best season Tennessee's had, you know, at least regular season, in program history. He absolutely gets credit for that. He also has to take some of the blame for going this entire season. And we talked about this during the season – that he did not develop a bench. They played a seven-man rotation the entire year. He uh, refused to break out of his system. Like, his system works, right? But in the tournament, at some point, you got to have a guy that's willing to just go get you a bucket. Look at Carson Edwards. Look at Kyle Guy. Look at the guy from Texas Tech whose name I can't remember. He's a top-five pick. Those guys, yeah, that guy. When, When it breaks down and the defenses get better, the deeper you go into March and into April... When the opposing team's defense is able to stop your set plays that you've been running all year, you've got to have a guy that can go get you a bucket. Tennessee has those guys. Jordan Bone can do that. Admiral Schofield can do that. Grant Williams can do that. But Rick Barnes refused to to take the leash off and give them the license to do that. And I think we have to say that. That's part of his resume at this point. That at one point in the tournament, his system is going to break down and he has not shown a bit of capability or a willingness to take the reins off and let his guys just go get a bucket. So that's that is my frustration with Rick. I Barnes. agree with that. I agree with that. I, and I think, oh, go ahead. So I think you voiced that voiced that very well. Well, I appreciate it. I'm going to keep going until it gets worse. I also think that when Rick Barnes, when it comes out that Rick Barnes is flirting with UCLA, I I just said that if he left, it would have been a tragedy for the program, and I believe that. But I also think that if he would have left, there's a non-zero chance that Tennessee hires a better coach than Rick Barnes. Or they would have they have the ability to hire a better coach. Let me put it Jerry that way. Jerry Stackhouse. They, would, they wouldn't have hired a better coach because they're Tennessee. They would have probably hired like the UTC guy or something. But 
there, there are better coaches out there for Rick than Rick Barnes. There are coaches out there that if they would have been at the helm for this tournament run or even last year's tournament run, Tennessee would have made one or two Final Fours. I firmly believe that. I Let also am glad that Rick Barnes stayed. Let yep. me ask you this. It, it, you know, it, it was rumored that Rick Barnes was going to the Bruins. Was it possible they got it mistaken and Belmont was trying to lure him away from Tennessee, the other Bruins? I think it's, there's, there's a distinct possibility that when Rick Bird retired from Belmont last week, Belmont's higher-ups thought to themselves, well, there's another old white guy named Rick who works like three hours from here and even kind of looks like the Rick that we just lost. Let's see, let's bring him in here. Maybe that'll there's, work. And there's a non-zero chance. It might have happened. It might have happened. Also, one other thing before we move on, if Rick Barnes left, you know who we would have hired, right? We would have hired the dude from Lipscomb. We would have hired Casey Alexander. Yeah. I think Wait, that's I pretty mean, safe to say. And uh, yeah, maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. We'll never know. Well, until next year when Rick Barnes yeah. leaves for like Stephen F. Austin or something. Yeah. Who knows? All right. A couple quick things. I'm, I've got a TV on and I've, I saw a couple of things scroll across that um, I thought were of note that I needed your hot takes on that don't apply at all to college basketball. Okay. The first thing is they put up the attendees of the 2019 NFL draft. And of course, Kyler Murray's going. Bosa's going. The kid, Allen kid from Kentucky's going. But also had some guys that were projected maybe to go in the second round that are going. So let me ask you this. If you're not like a for sure top 10 pick, why would you go sit in that room for, you know, hours on end waiting for your name to be called? Does that make any sense whatsoever if you're not a high draft pick to go to the NFL draft? It makes zero logical sense. Okay, Maybe it's just good. my personality, but I don't even think even if I was like going to be a surefire top five pick, I don't think I would want to go because there's always like the Aaron Rodgers potential. That's worst case scenario is you start falling. You have to sit there for three and a half hours with a camera in your face on, right. you know, exactly. not worth it to me. Not worth it to me. Have a party like Jake Locker did. Have all your family over. Watch it on TV. Just don't be like Jake Locker once you get into the NFL. Second thing <laughs> is they were talking about Chris Davis, who is now 0 for his last Ooh. 49. Yeah, tough. Okay. Set the record. Set and, the record and, last night. And he was, was somebody always interviewing him. I would not give any interviews if I was 0 for 49. <laughs> like, if I hadn't gotten anybody out in my last seven starts, you know, I probably would not be doing me. By the way, speaking of not gotten anyone out in seven starts, Trevor Rosenthal hasn't gotten anyone out, th- out yet this year. And we're in the second week of the season, and he pitches regularly. Is that right? He may have by now, but he went like four or five appearances with zero outs. I think he set the record for most earned runs without an out to start a season. It was like seven or eight. With the old infinity ERA? Yep, just kept getting. So this is another sidebar. What's worse? All right, infinity is bad regardless. Infinity for your ERA, you don't want that. Is it worse to have infinity ERA with like four earned runs or like nine earned runs? Because intellectually, you think, okay, nine earned runs is worse. But really, they're the same, right? I don't know. How does math work? Well, I don't think we have enough time to describe (laughs) infinity. But from a personal standpoint, I would rather give up four runs than nine runs. In all situations, there's not a situation. You can't think of it. Okay, all right. We we got to start talking about other stuff. I, can't, I cannot think of a situation where I would rather give up nine runs. <laughs> oh, baseball's so fun. Chris Davis is making like $28 million this, a year, and 
good for him. You know, he was great not that long ago. And he's just got out 50 times in a row. 50 times in a row. And he's making a lot of money. $28 million this year. That's incredible. There you go. And there's nothing so, they can do about it because it's baseball. Like, right, what are you, you going to do? Wanna, you do you want to talk home? Jordan Bone? you want to talk Grant Williams at all? Or I mean, I, I, I can do like 30 seconds. I think they're both going to put their names in. And in basketball, if you don't get good feedback, you can come back. So I think one or both of them probably ends up coming back. But I think that story will – there will be more to talk about on that closer to the draft. Yeah. I just don't know how either of them – well, maybe Bone a little bit, but I don't know how either of them could really improve their stock that much by coming back. I mean, they kind of are what they are. I mean, Bone could, you know, definitely take games over more and maybe improve. But at this point, Williams really is what he is. I don't really know what he can do except for make more three-pointers that would – Help his that's, draft stock. That's it. Yeah, if he comes back to school, he's got to come back with like the express purpose of taking four threes a game and making like forty percent of them, which yeah. I, that would be great for us for for the Vols. But huge, yeah, it it'll be huge. It would be huge. So all right, let's let's move on to golf and the Masters <laughs> and Magnolia Lane and <laughs> pimento cheese sandwiches. Pimento cheese sandwiches, cheap concessions and tradition. Ice cream. And, and yeah, stuffy personnel <laughs> and everything that encompasses the Masters Golf Tournament, the first major of the year. Do you have any initial thoughts going into this week on anything on this tournament? So yes and no. You've you've introduced me to to your golf podcast that you listen to. I've listened to two or three episodes this week. I feel more informed about golf now than I ever have before in my life. Shout out so to the like laying up guys. Good podcast. I feel like I'm actually going to be able to contribute to this discussion on some level. It'll be just be parroting what they said on their master's preview, but that's fine. That's usually what I do anyway, is listen to other people and then parrot their takes. So um, sure. I'll let you kick it off. Well, you know, sure. Where do you want to go with this? Okay. I, I want to talk sort of odds on these players so far. So okay. I, I heard something today that this is the first time in I don't know how many years where nobody ranked in the top 10 in the – official world golf rankings as one a green jacket none of these guys in the top 10 have won a masters yet which is pretty crazy to think about so rory has the open the british open he has u.s open he has a pga championship he does not have a masters on his resume he needs that for the grand slam and he is your favorite he's plus 700 he is the favorite of the tournament to be honest with you, the course works out really, really well for him. He hits a draw, which players that work the ball right to left have a distinct advantage because a lot of the holes at Augusta National work right to left. So he's obviously the favorite. Okay, he's been playing great. He won the players. He had all those top fives in a row. So, I mean, I, I think that he's going to be in contention. I don't see how he can't be. But he had that collapse back in 2012, I think it was, where he was three up going into 13 maybe and, and ended up losing. He was over there by that cabin for like seven shots. I don't, <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. I mean, total catastrophe. So, he, uh, yeah, that was tough for him. But he's a favorite. DJ is the runner-up favorite. He is plus 1,000. He Listen, He's the most talented golfer in the world. Like DJ at his best, I think is better than anybody at their best. But we love he hits DJ. A cut. He hits a cut. 
Okay, he hits a cut. So I'm not saying he couldn't win. I think he's finished top five before here. But I'm just saying that, I don't know. I'm not going to pick him to win. So I know you are the resident DJ supporter here. So tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong because here's why you're wrong. Because it doesn't matter if he hits a cut or a fade or the fairway works from left to right or right to left. I don't care. DJ hits the ball a thousand yards usually straight (laughs) if you hit the ball a thousand yards and it goes straight and you can putt at all and dj can putt he's really good on the green of course he should be one of the the top two or three favorite guys of course if we pick you know i don't know how if we're going to do a draft like we've done in the past i don't know if you're going to make me pick one person but of course that i think i think dj is going to be in contention he's incredible as long as he doesn't like slip going to the bathroom and break his wrist or something like what happened two years ago then yeah he's going to be in it on sunday and I'm glad because I love watching DJ and we're a DJ podcast. No, we're not a DJ podcast. We we're team, a we're team Euro. We're a team Euro podcast here oh, on the golfing side. Put a pin Which in brings it us to another I'm, Euro. Euro. Oh, another oh, yeah. Euro who is the third favorite, and that's Justin Rose. Justin Rose has been in contention the last couple of years. He's the world number one golfer currently. Justin Rose used to be my favorite golfer. Now it's McElroy. So needless to say, both of those guys in the top three. I'm really excited for this tournament. I think he could absolutely win it. He's got let me, he works the let, ball right oh, to well right. really well as well. Well, you've got a Euro. Let me give you a Euro. My Euro this week, and this is 100% resisting bias from the match play a couple weeks ago, Francisco Molinari. Give me Frances- mm. Fr- Francisco Francesco. I don't care. Molinari, he's 20 to 1. Francesco. He, Francesco. He tore up the match play. He was incredible. I didn't know he was that good. He's really good. Um, and if you're if I'm picking a Euro that is not Justin Rose or Rory McIlroy because he is also he's Irish, give me Francesco Molinari. That's I, I love that pick. He has been hitting the ball really, really, really well, and he's not a essentially long player. But that doesn't really matter that much at, at Augusta. They did lengthen some holes, but I think that you know a player that can really be specific in where he places the ball in the fairway has an advantage here and you know if you think about a a bomber he's going to have to be straight or else he can get in a lot of trouble there's a lot of trouble here and you got to know the places to put the ball and execute those shots really well and he's definitely in a spot where he could do it you know I I think another guy that could do that is Justin Thomas I mean Justin Thomas is it's the ball a long ways but he's got so much talent you know if he puts it all together there's nothing saying that, that he can't win it. But there's a couple other guys here that, that I think, you know, could have a good shot. And that's one of them's Tommy Fleetwood, another Euro. He hits his mid to low irons really, really, really well. Fleetwood is is hits the ball right to left well. He's been in contention a lot lately. I think that he's, you know, not a bad pick, especially he's twelfth in odds right now. So I think he's twenty five to one, you know. Definitely somebody take a flyer on, I think. Um, Shambo's 33 to 1. Shambo's interesting because you got to feel he's got so much talent as well. He hasn't really done much lately. I can see why his odds are so low, but you know, I, I think he's got a shot. Like a lot of these, I mean, the thing is, I look at all of these odds and I'm like, man, all of these guys could win this tournament. <laughs> I mean, you look all the way down, Rafa Cabrera Bayo is 100 to 1, and that guy is stupid good. Like, there, there's there's a lot of guys that, you know, that could absolutely win this tournament. So, 
what I do want to do is, well, I want to do a draft, but let's work through a couple more master stuff before we get there, okay? There's some more odds that are out here, and that's sort of the specials on here. So I'm going to go through this and sort of ask your takes on these odds. First one is, is there going to be any player to shoot 62 or lower in any round at the Masters? So that's, you know, course record, and under right? pretty much. Yes, this is course record. So the no is 33 to 1, or 1 to 33. The yes is 12 to 1. Is anybody going to shoot 62 or lower in any round at the Masters? So I'm going to hit you with some knowledge. Last year, 2018 Masters, Jordan Spieth was on the tee at 18 on Sunday, needing a birdie to shoot a 62. To set He's the great at right. He hit a rope. He hit a rope down the left side of the fairway, which on 18, you want to miss left. If you're going to miss, that's where you want to put it. Oh, he hit the limb. He hit the and tree. there is a tree overhanging about 100 yards out before you even get to the fairway. The lazy maintenance crew did not prune it properly, and there was one limb that was hanging down like 15 feet lower than the rest of the tree, sniped Spieth's ball, dropped him down before he even got to the fairway. He ends up not birdieing and shooting like 63, 64. Um, and, you know, I don't know. You, you probably know where he finished. I don't know where he finished. He didn't win. So my answer is no. No one's going to shoot a 62 because if anybody was going to shoot a 62, it was going to be Spieth last year, and the course would not let it happen. It's like... It's like in those old video games, like, uh, I can't, like the Crash Bandicoot or whatever, the Mario games, where you can't actually beat the game. It just keeps getting harder and harder until you die. There's like an artificial ceiling built into it. (laughs) Right. And the ceiling at Augusta is 63, because if you flirt with 62, a tree is going to come out of nowhere and snatch your ball out of the air. And swat it. Swat it down. So, yeah, that's a no. So, yeah, I, I, I think... Talk about Spieth. We didn't talk about Spieth and the odds. Spieth is oh, – let me pull this up again. Spieth, Spieth is 22 to 1. Oh, I got 16 to 1. What, what, are you, what website are you on? Let's, let's streamline this. This is on the Bovada website. All right. All right. I'll get there. That way we can say the same number and not sound like idiots. Okay. Yeah, this is updated odds. So, um, yeah, he's, he's 22 to 1. And – you, I had you listen to that No Laying Up podcast of Jordan Spieth on it. And the one thing he said, so he's had a lot of issues lately. He, he hasn't played well at all. The one thing he did say is at Augusta, you can't be worrying about your swing because you have to worry about the course. Like a lot of courses they play, right? You just hit it straight, hit the wedge you want, and putt, right? But there's so many factors that come into play at Augusta because the course is so unique because – you have to take into account all the little nooks and crannies of the course that that's all like you have to, you, you have to be external, right? Essentially you have to be external and this course helps him do that, which is why I think he's had so much success here over the years. So he is such an interesting player coming into this because he could win it. Like he could very easily win this tournament. You know, I'd say that he right, right there. He's the ninth, Ninth pick to win, um, but it would not shock me at all if Jordan Spieth had another green jacket after this. I mean, he hadn't finished worse than like third there. So, but at the same time, he's been playing so poorly that what well, hasn't been playing poorly. He has like one blow up nine. Like he shot a 41 or 42 on nine holes or something last week. And 
So it, he could very easily miss the cut. Like that's a possibility. It's such a wild card. It's such an interesting storyline. What do you think about Jordan Spieth going into this tournament? It would not. Okay, so I think that it would. Let me say it this way: it would shock me if Spieth missed the cut because he plays that course so well. He even last year where he had three pretty average rounds, he still you know got a chance to pull it out on Sunday. So it would shock me if he didn't make the cut. It also would shock me if he won the tournament, if that makes sense. Like, he's playing – it's been so long since he's had a lead on Sunday and put it away. I feel like I listened to that podcast that you that you re- recommended to me. He's a super interesting guy, super thoughtful. He explains the mental side of, of the game in a way that, you know, makes it easy for someone like me who's a casual fan of golf to really understand what it, what goes into each swing that these guys take. And that listening to him talk, talk about golf for an hour made me more, you know, made me think it's more possible that he wins this week, but I just don't see it when you've been out of it for as long as he has to come back in on Sunday and be able to, to win this tournament when you've been playing that bad for that long, it would shock me if he, if he won. I think he's going to be in contention. I think he'll be on the leaderboard. I think he'll be in a featured group on Sunday. I, I would, I would pick him to finish top 10 or at least flirt with the top 10. I just don't think he's going to be able to actually win. Uh, I, I, I think he can win, man. I think he can win. Uh, I'm so excited. It, I would hope be, he does. it would be great. It I would be great. I, I hope that the final group on Sunday is Spieth and DJ and they're just going at it. DJ's out driving him by a hundred yards and Spieth's making every putt he looks at. That would be fantastic. Um, and if Spieth won, it, I, as much as I love McElroy, if Spieth won, I, I would be more happy than, than seeing McElroy win. Um, even with McElroy had, needing the slam? Even with him needing the slam because Spieth is, I, Spieth is such like – you can tell he's he's such a genuine guy, such a nice guy, and and you know, I, I just I would really enjoy him being back, you know, like having that confidence. He need, he needs some confidence there, so and results and and I, I would, that's the thing. Results yeah. breed confidence, right? What right. comes first, confidence right. or, or the score? Right. Um, will there be a hole in one? Yes. I get, yes. I get, I get four rounds of what sixty four guys. Of course, yeah. There's going to be a hole in one. There's always a hole. In well, one, right? there'll be a cut, but I mean, regardless, there's, um, yeah, there, there. The yes is minus one sixty five. So you, you could absolutely. Um, it's oh, that's, so there you go. That's, that's not a fun bet if you have to give yeah. that much. Yeah, that's more fun if it's like minus two fifty or something. Well, what about will there be a double eagle? So an albatross. The Louis much. stays in. Mm-hmm. Yes is. It's sixteen to one. That was a, that's a such a cool shot that he hit. He, I mean, that shot he that was on two, and he hit it on the front and ran it all the way up and back into that pin on Sunday when he was in contention. Like I still it, remember watching that. There are a few golf shots that I like vividly actually remember seeing live. That's one of them. The Phil shot from the pine straw is one of them. But that shot Louis hit, it rolled probably, what, 120 feet after it landed on the green and just was seeking the whole time right for the pin. It was incredible. No, I don't think anyone will. Um, I, I would say no, but, man, what if Louis did it again? What if Louis outlatched number two again? Yeah, On Sunday. It, on Sunday. What are the odds on that? Uh, 
I don't know. I'll throw a dollar on that. I'll, I'll throw one <laughs> Bitcoin on that. Um, what about the par three contest winner? That's tomorrow. And the, the interesting thing about the par three contest is a lot of times on number nine, like you'll have all these guys play one through eight and then number nine, they'll have like their son hit, hit the tee shot or like a, their son putt on the green and that disqualifies you, right? Like it's fun. It's tradition. And so many players do that, but it disqualifies you from the tournament. So usually there's a small number of guys that play all the way through trying to win this thing. No surprise, the favorite or one of the favorites here is DeChambeau because you know he's going to be all in and, and you're not letting anybody hit any shots for him. So, um, you know, Ricky Fowler is up there too. It's just funny to, to look at Tiger. I don't even know if Tiger's on here. Tiger's not going to even play in this thing because you don't is, have is to Tiger play. Gonna, is Tiger going to play the par three? That seems like a very on-brand Tiger he's thing. He's 66-1. to one, So he's, you know, you don't have to play it. He's not going to play it. I'm, I'm telling you right now. You could take Nicholas at – what was that? Gosh, two hundred to one. Um, two down. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, don't take Nicholas. Um, I don't know. My picks to Shambo. Although the young guys, like the guys, their first time here, like Beerguard and Keith Mitchell, those guys may try to win it too. Just take home some hardware. Um, and I guess the amateurs too. I think the amateurs, you know, will will try to win it. So Victor Hovland, who won the USAM. I think he's going to be the low am, but he uh, he could win it. So I don't know. Do you have a thought? Uh, I, yeah. Here you go. the The winner of the par three is going to be Jose Maria Olazabal. 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 Spanish young guy, um, up and coming. Not young. <laughs> he's old not? guy. No, he's an old guy. <laughs> Um, uh, no, I don't know who's going to win the part three. I got there you go. I got no idea who's going to win the part three. I don't. Number of hole in ones over four. I was going to well, say beer regard, but then you took beer regard. Number of hole in ones over four and a half on the par three. Oh, on the par three. That's, that feels like over. I just feel like these are yeah. These they are funnel all the they funnel all the greens towards the hole. They want to um, see some hole in ones. Easy pin positions. Yeah, I actually, so I went to the Masters in 2009, I think it was 2009, and I went to the Wednesday practice round, me and my dad went, and we watched a part three, and I saw the shark, Greg Norman, hit a hole in one, it was legit. (laughs) I also, I don't know if you remember this, but I think, I can't remember, I think the group that was playing was... Uh, Nicholas Palmer and uh, Gary Player, and we were watching them hit their shots on the par three. And one of them took up the divot the size of my driveway, and <laughs> the guy next to me caught it. He caught the divot, and it was like I don't know, it looked like twelve inches long, yeah, and yeah, like five inches wide. And so he tore off, tore it in half, and gave me the divot. And so I took it home and I brought it to school, and everybody uh-huh. was like feeling yeah. the gust of grass. Tried to grow it in the backyard and it didn't. It didn't catch. But I remember um, that. I was going to ask you if it's still growing in your parents' backyard because I fully yeah, remember you trying yeah. to plant it out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, that <laughs> zoysia or whatever grass it is did not oh, take zo- well to the backyard. Zoysia is good grass. Doesn't need a lot of sunlight. Shade grass. Well, hey, yeah, former groundskeeper here. I mean, yeah. I mean, what? Talk to talk to me about the the you know 
agriculture standpoint of Augusta National I've and got, how hard it would be to keep that course in the condition. I've got an agronomy hot take for you. Um, how hard would it be to keep that course in that great a condition in mid-April when it's raining every single day, about four inches a day? It would be impossible. I think they paint the grass green. I, I was going to say this at the top of the pod. I'm glad you brought it up. I think that I think they I think they put a little green paint on it because there's no way the grass is that green. It's just not possible. The whole thing can't be that green. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. There's there's paint on the grass. As a professional greenskeeper, former twice removed, there's some paint yeah. on it. You heard it here first. Augusta National is phonies. Phonies. Not total Painting. phonies. Just a little bit of paint. Like I'm not saying it wouldn't be green if they didn't paint it. I'm just saying band-aiding to get that like band-aiding the course together. To get that like rich Kelly green, whatever it is, you know, the super dark green. It's just there's no way. There's no way. There's gotta be a little paint in there. I'm, I'm gonna keep an eye on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna just make sure I'll, I'll take look, a look. See if see if there's any green on the players' cleats, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, you know so, Tommy Fleetwood's gonna be wearing white shoes. See if he picks up a little green. Yeah. So we looked up the price for a Sunday ticket at Augusta National. On SeatGeek. SeatGeek, sponsor us. That'd be cool. So oh, SeatGeek, fly us to Augusta. Yeah, it'll be great. $2,000 was the cheapest ticket. and yep. But the so food's thought, cheap. <laughs> make it all up at the concession stand. <laughs> yeah. But then you go to buy a polo for $250. Uh, that's so, uh, the thing is you got you to gotta wear your own polo. You win, win some, you lose some. Make um, it feel it at the concession stand. Right. So – I started thinking about it, and $2,000 to see, you know, a, a major sporting event is a lot of money, but, you know, you think about seeing the Super Bowl, you think about seeing the NCAA uh, championship, you think about seeing the, I guess, like the Warriors, Cavs, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to cough up money, right? You're going to cough up money to see those teams in action, but the thing about the Masters is you're not paying $2,000 and getting to sit, you know, inside the ropes. You're thrown in general admission and you got to get there at 3.30 in the morning to set up your chair on 18 or, you know, at Amen Corner on 12 or else you're going to be, you know, peering through a Goliath guy in front of you trying to watch Jordan Spieth chunk one in the water on 12 again. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're paying $2,000, but that's just to get in the gate. A lot of money. Not saying it's not worth it because if I had $2,000, you know, that I could throw and, and was free on Sunday, I would absolutely pay it to go. But it's just kind of shocking when you think about, I don't know how many people they let in the gates, 50, 60, 70,000, but there's a lot of money to pay. Obviously, that's not through Augusta National. That's secondhand ticket prices, but still, I mean, that's supply and demand, what they're, what they're going for unbelievable i mean how many no wonder they can give those pimento cheese sandwiches away two thousand dollars a head for fifty thousand people look out i would i would love to go to the masters but i don't think i could ever no matter what my financial state was justify spending that kind of money i went to the um, pga championship last year in st louis and we had a good time um we got to see tiger got to see dj hit a ball like i said literally a million yards right down the middle um Got to see a lot of cool stuff, and it was, you know, let me preface this by saying that it was St. Louis in August, so it was about a million degrees. It was miserably hot. 
but you just don't get to watch a lot of golf. Like I spent most of the day standing in line for the bathroom, standing in line for concession stand, standing in line to buy sunscreen. Um, and then the shots I did see were on holes I didn't really care about or players I didn't really care about, or they were, you know, looking through a forest of other people. And I just don't think if I'm going to spend that kind of money on a sporting event, I'm going to a world series game, you know, or I'm going to right. college football national championship game or something. So I would love to go if SeatGeek if SeatGeek wants to pony up and fly us out, we'll keep we'll keep giving them free ads until they start paying us for ads. Um, you know they I got think the green pay dots us for ads. Then if we give them, keep giving them free ads, they got the Business. green dots that are good deals. Um, these were not good deals. Sorry, SeatGeek, they weren't. But I'd love to go. But I just I mean it's ridiculous. You don't get to watch. You it's better at home. It's better on TV. It just is. I've never been, but I assume it's better on TV. Let me throw you a – well, one thing is you can't use your phone on the course. So basically you got to check the leaderboard to see what's going on. You're not able to check Twitter and see who's making a charge, right? Like it's – you're kind of at the mercy of picking a group or picking a hole and sort of, you know, not really knowing what's going on outside of that, which is kind of crazy to think about. Also kind of liberating to think about. But so that's if kind you want of to listen to me to talk me. about cell phones, you can go back to listen to a couple of podcasts about ago. Three pods ago, you got our cell phone takes. So let's, let me throw a hypothetical at you. You have a lot of money. Money's not an issue, okay? How much would you pay if it was a pay-for-play sort of deal to play around at Augusta National? I'll give you two scenarios. One, like in... Two months, and then one the Monday after the Masters. Well, I mean, if money is not an issue, then you know you pay whatever it costs. So, I th- I didn't realize this till I till I listened to the aforementioned No Laying Up podcast, who could also cut the check if they want to. Um, that the course is completely different this week based on any other week of the year, which makes sense because. It's in the southern part of the United States, and in June and July, it's you know talk about paying right. grass. You're not going to be able to keep the grass green at that time of year. Well, so that yeah, that and they're I mean, right. The the thing is they they're putting everything, all their eggs into the basket to make sure this two these two weeks, this week and a half in April, you know, especially with the, the women's the women's am tournament that was played on Saturday here and Friday, it's perfect for like a week and right. a half. It's perfect. And how it looks the rest of the time is important, but really not important, you know? So, yeah, there you go. I think, um, first of all, I would almost rather play it when it's not perfect. That way maybe I could shoot something semi-respectable. I may, hey, Maybe I make a birdie on a hole and be like, oh, yeah, I made a birdie on that hole that Rory hit in the water because, you know, the green's super easy or whatever. I think that that might be more appealing to me because you don't have to tell people that it wasn't, you know, the course wasn't, you know, ratcheted all the way up to eleven. You just tell them that you made a birdie at Augusta National. So I think that would be better. Right. Um, but if I'm going to answer this question where if money is an issue, because money is an issue, how much I would actually pay. And I think if you're telling me I get one round of 18 and that's it, I mean, that's going to be you know, like two or $300. That's, that's a boring answer. But I just don't – if I'm only getting 18 holes, that's four hours of entertainment – Plus, you get to tell everybody for the rest of your life you played Augusta, which is, you know, a cool story. But I just can't justify spending, you know, 
you know, whatever, two, three thousand dollars on four hours of entertainment. Usually, I paid ten thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! If money wasn't I may, an issue, I may. I, if, if money wasn't an issue, I may pay pay twenty thousand dollars. Well, sure. If money's not an issue, I'll pay whatever it costs. But you know, whatever. If I could I justify know. my budget twenty thousand dollars and play this course, I would do it. And I would play from the back key, back tees. I don't know if you can. I think you got to play from the member tees because you'd be playing with the member, but which are way pushed up, by the way. It, it, <laughs> I'm sure it would look a lot different. But I'd try to play from the back, and I'd pay twenty thousand dollars. Here's the feasible. reason you can't pay twenty thousand dollars to play there because you're going to get up on number one and you're going to hit one off the toe, and it's going to go seventeen yards, <laughs> and then the, you're going to be miserable the whole day. You're going to be miserable because you're going to shoot 150. No, I'm flushing it down the middle. Okay. Who cares? I don't, care what, I don't care if I hit 27 balls in the water on 12. I'm going to eat my pimento cheese sandwiches <laughs> and love every second of that. This is why we're different golfers and you're a much better golfer than me because once I start hitting bad shots, I get so mad. Like in golf, I don't know what it is about golf. Golf just makes me more mad than any other sport actually playing it. And I would the first bad shot I hit at Augusta, all I could think about was how much money I was spending to hack it up on this course. And <laughs> it just I wouldn't have fun. You know, at the end of the day I wouldn't have fun. Are you still using the closed off stance? No, no, I've straightened that out. I can miss both ways now. I can hit it right and left. I'm an oh, equal opportunity. You. I'm equal opportunity sprayer. I hit it a long lucky. way. It'll go far, but you know. I would enjoy having playing in Augusta because I assume they have those guys that like stand in the fairway and find your ball when it goes under the trees, which would right. save me a ton of balls per round. A, a caddy, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. We played around with a caddy one time. I played pretty good. It helps. It, it, it helps. It really does help. <laughs> it legitimately helps. All right, let's, let's, let's draft. We're going to pick four golfers each, okay? And right. here's sort of the guidelines on this, okay? you got to pick your favorite. All right, you got to pick like a guy that um, you know isn't in the top six favorites, you know, of favorites, and 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 pick him. Um, you got to pick a dark horse and then a long shot. All right, um, and I will let you go first because I know who your first pick is going to be. So if we're okay, if we're doing it by tiers. So uh, okay, so of like the actual contenders, you want to say like the guys who sure. Maybe like top top five or the, six. Yeah, or the favorites. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Dustin Johnson because I have to. Okay. I, and I'm gonna take McElroy because. All right. Because you have to. I want to. Right. It's easy enough. This is riveting radio for everybody. Listen to me. <laughs> as I type it in, this is goes back to the um, the beginning of our podcast when we said that we're just gonna record conversations we already have. We've been we've been doing this Masters draft since high school, I think. So, welcome in. There you go. And yeah. I always take Dustin Johnson and Austin take your always shoes takes off. Rory McIlroy. This is, this is perfect. I don't know how to spell McIlroy. All right. Okay, so you're up. It's a, it's a snake draft. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah, for my you know secondary favorite guy outside, I guess, the top six or seven who I think is going to win, is Tommy Ladd. Tommy Fleetwood, Team Euro so far. I'm going with Tommy Fleetwood as my second choice. Tommy Fleetwood. And his weird hair. Alrighty. So my second pick, I'm going to go with. Um, this is interesting because, like, I'm trying to decide where the cutoff is. I, I'll like, you, w- w- choose somebody, and I'll tell you if it's a if it's the cutoff or not. 
Okay, I've got three guys, and I'm going to start with the first guy on the odds list, and you tell me if it's if it's allowed. Um, sure. Plus 2,200, Francesco Molinar. Yeah, that's who I thought you were going to pick, and that's right. definitely acceptable. He's okay. he's not, you know, he's, what is that, 1,500 behind McElroy on the odds? So, yeah. yeah, plus 2,200 sounds like long odds. He's like sixth or seventh <laughs> best, but yeah. okay. All right, give me Molinari. All right, what's our what's our third tier? A dark horse, a dark, dark horse, horse candidate. So, so long shot is worse than dark horse, right? All right, dark horse candidate. I see. I probably should have done some prep on this, but I did not. Um, and you're honestly probably going to be better not doing prep. And it's, yeah, it's, it's probably like, like true. an NCAA tournament deal, right? Yeah. The like, less you know, the better, right? By the way, we need to shout out the winner of our NCAA tournament. Informal podcast. We'll save it. We'll do it at the end. Okay. Do it at the end. Right. We'll do it at the end. Right. This is the Masters draft. This is very important. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. I'm gonna. You're you're the uh, you're the draft czar. So I'm gonna throw another one at you, and you tell me if this counts as a dark horse. Sure. My first dark horse. Would you allow Bubba Watson? Yes, I would allow Bubba, Bubba because he's not Watson. gonna win. Bubba Watson owns this course for no apparent reason. It makes no sense. He's got two green jackets. That is two more than your boy Rory McIlroy. Give me Bubba as my third pick. So I'm looking at sort of a dark horse here. And there's a lot of names that are sticking out to me. A lot of names of people that I think could absolutely win this tournament. There's a lot of guys in that Bubba Watson range who you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Louis Ustazen could probably win. Who stays it could win? I could see Adam Scott winning. Phil is in that same range. Phil could win Tony, or miss Tony Food. Tony Finau. That's absolutely right. Because <laughs> as he said in the uh, for the for the players championship, the players isn't a must play for him. So I, I guess the Masters <laughs> is a must play on his schedule. Um, Kucher, as much as I, um, I would have picked. I would have guy. I would have picked Kucher if not for you reprimanding me on saying that we don't we don't like my um, Kucher right. on the last. We podcast, don't like Matt so. Kucher. So no, my dark horse candidate sitting at forty to one is Xander Shoffley. So I think like Xander's it. Xander Shoffley has a, a ball flight that plays well in this course. I think he's good under pressure. I, he needs a major. I could see him winning. That so, moving down to our long shot. This is a guy that you know, maybe players some people haven't heard of. So, for my long shot at 150 to one, I'm oh, wow. picking also with Team Euro. Give it, give it Thorborn to me. Olsen. Oh, that's not the that's not the Danish guy I thought you were gonna go with. You thought I was going with Beer Guard? I thought you were going with Beersley. Come on, no. man. Thorborn Olsen. Thorborn right. Olsen was on the European Ryder Cup team. So he has obviously experience playing under pressure. I take him at 151 as my long shot. I love it. I love it. I feel like I feel like if we're both going to have like Nordic people, or if you're <laughs> going to take the Nordic guy, I got to take Beersley, right? I gotta Beer, take Beerguard. I gotta take Lucas Beerguard. He in the match play, he went toe to toe, heads up, one on one with Tiger Woods, and he beat him. He beat him. He drilled like a twenty four footer for Birdie to put to beat Tiger Woods. 
I mean, the stones on this guy, Lucas Beauregard, long shot, he's going to win the Masters. There you go. If one of those guys win the Masters, we're going to go nuts. Um, if one of those guys win the Masters, we're doubling our seat geek money. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else to add on the Masters at all? No, I don't think so. I don't Clear think your schedules well, well, this me, weekend. Uh, bef- yeah, before we move on, just give me – this. the draft was fun. I appreciated the way you broke it down. This was entertaining. It, it let us talk about a lot more guys. If you just had to pick someone to win, is it is it Rory? If you had yeah, to – if Rory. you had to – one guy versus the field, you taking Rory? I'm taking Rory. All right, I'm taking Dustin You remember Johnson. when we used to do Tiger versus the Phil? Think, uh, uh, versus the Phil. Tiger versus the field? It think about how crazy that is. Well, okay, we can't – yeah. We can't talk about the Masters and not talk about Tiger, all right? We went through a whole thing. Neither, neither one of us said Tiger Woods' name once. We've talked about golf for like half an hour. How Give crazy me, is that? It's insane because would you be shocked if Tiger won? He's like top five on odds, and that's uh, you know that's a lot of uh, scam in the public. People want to bet on Tiger. I get it. that Those odds are inflated. But, I mean, he's he's been playing well. I mean, not like great, but. Listen, he's he's been playing well. He hasn't finished within the – and within eight, seven or eight strokes of anybody that's won this year, he was in contention on the last two majors, but he hasn't won the Masters in the last 10 years and only once since they lengthened the course. So he's always in contention. I have no doubt that, like, Sunday at 3 o'clock, he's going to be, you know, seven groups in front and tied for second. Everybody's going to go crazy, and I bet he finishes top 15. Okay. Top fifteen uh, for Tiger. I, I, I give Tiger a top fifteen. I just because he knows how to work around the course and not, you know, completely eject. But I think that I, I, I don't think he's going to win this tournament. I don't think so either. It would be really fun if he was if he was in like actual contention on Sunday. Let me ask you this question one. Question one A: Does Tiger win another major in his career? Ooh. Question one B. If the answer is yes, which one does he win? Which one do you – and even if you don't think he wins another one, which which one is he most likely to win based on the way he's playing now? Mm. He's not going to win the U.S. Open. Oh, well, sorry. I think he will win one more. Okay. The p- contingent on him playing at a competitive level the next five years. Okay. I think he's five more years to win one. Okay, that's fair. Right. There's so many more golfers now that are on his level. Now, if he was at the level he was playing, you know, 15 years ago, he's still way better than all these guys. But the honest truth is, you know, all these guys grew up playing like Tiger, and so they hit the ball a long ways. And there's, frankly, better than the competition that that Tiger was playing, um, you know, when he came up. So he's going to have to get lucky, and he's going to have to, you know – at the end of the day, um, you know, beat some really good players to win a major. So I think he wins one more. And golf world, golf Twitter is simply going to explode. Oh, um, it's going to be great. I hope I hope you're right because it's going to be so much fun. I don't think he can win the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open always has extremely tight fairways. It's always really tough course for, for uh, players that drive the ball uh, wayward, spray it a little bit. And he's always been one of those guys. So I, I don't think he's going to win, even though this year is at Pebble and he plays pretty well at Pebble. But I don't think he's going to win win a U.S. Open. PGA is sort of the same way. 
Um, it's not as tough, but they move it around. I think the best shot he's got really is either – I think it's probably the Open Championship. The Open Championship, he, he can shot shape so well and hits his iron so well. The wind isn't going to mess with him, which is usually the weather. is a huge factor on those courses. They're generally more open because a lot of them are links golf courses, which really helps him in that sense. And, you know, I, I, I just think that that's more of a style of play that probably suits him. So, yeah, I'm going to say the Open, the British Open. There you go. Heard it here first. 2021 British Open, Tiger Woods. Ooh, at St. Andrews. Put there on the go. schedule. 2021. Put on the schedule. Yep. Put him down. Sweet. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some more European stuff, and that is soccer. And Liverpool, really. Liverpool gets a huge – I don't know why I'm talking. You talk about this. <laughs> so I, you made me listen to the golf podcast. I made you watch the highlights of Liverpool Southampton on Friday afternoon, I believe it was. Liverpool Man City. Okay, all right. Tottenham just scored. Watching the watching the Champions League on um, record. So that's what son from Tottenham. One nil. Your boys, the Hotspurs, up one nil. All right. Um, yeah, Liverpool. They're in a tightly contested race with Manchester City, as we know. As if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say several times. Um, City was off this week. Saudis. The Saudis were playing in the FA Cup, so they did not play a league game. Um, Liverpool Friday against Southampton concede early, go down one nil, and Liverpool's at the point where they've got to win every game. Like they're down one point to City, and you just got to assume that Manchester City is not going to lose. Or no, you know they you'll be lucky to get a draw out of them. So if you're Liverpool, you've got to win every single game, and. In that environment, to give up the first goal, I just imagine the amount of pressure those guys were under. They come back, they tie it before halftime, but still, they you can't draw at this point. They've got to win every game. And start of the second half, Southampton really was controlling the majority of the ball. I mean, they look like the better the better team. Southampton, who is you know mid table at best, they've been in kind of they've been in the relegation zone for a while this year. They're not they're going to stay up, but they're not anywhere close to Liverpool's level. They were outplaying them at the start of the second half, and you could almost see the nerves in Liverpool, the way they were playing. They were just playing tight until Mo Salah puts the team on his back on a counterattack, sprints about 50 yards with two or three Southampton defenders crawling all over his back. He's got one of his teammates, Roberto Firmino, coming down the left side, wide open. All he's got to do is lay it off, and it's a tap-in. Salah, who hasn't scored in like... He hadn't scored in like eight league games, I think. Eight, nine, something like that. The longest drought he's had since he's come to the Premier League. He looks at Firmino on his left. He says, I could I could pass this right there. Or I could just put the team on my back and score. He chips it over the goalkeeper, rips his shirt off, which is fantastic celebration, by the way. We should do that. Why is baseball. that true? Okay, two <laughs> things on this before you go any further. Yeah. It was mesmerizing watching him dribble the ball down down the like pitch. There. 50 yards. It was long, incredible. And it's it's like the ball wasn't even there. He just was sprinting and the ball so was just kept going forward. On the ball. Yeah. Second, why is it your inclination to rip your shirt off when you, you know, do a good feat? Like a, a, an exceptional feat. You know, it, I just accomplished this great thing, so let me take my shirt off. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. Could you imagine and the, we're going to the last podcast topic before we get off is going to touch on this a little bit. Could you imagine 
if in baseball you hit like a 450 foot bomb and <laughs> tore your jersey off, how just butthurt everybody would be. Like everybody would immediately start punching each other. Couldn't handle it. <laughs> No you one wouldn't make it to home plate. That's no, for sure. no. Brian McCann would meet you at second base and start punching <laughs> you in the head. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why you rip your shirt off, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Maybe it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea why. I've got no idea why. It was incredible. Uh, and he didn't even want to like, his teammates come over to try to celebrate with him. I don't know if you saw this part of the highlight. He, he was like Reggie bushing his teammates. He was Bob and Weaven did not want anything to do with any of his teammates. He wanted to stand shirtless in all his glory in front of everyone and bask in the moment of scoring the game winner. Uh, it was incredible. Liverpool go top of the table. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Go watch it. If you haven't seen it, totally worth it. It was pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's insane. Each, each, um, each, each time I watch soccer, I'm a little more intrigued. So Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm also, not in the boat. I'm not in the boat. I don't even know if I'm in the water yet, but just um, I'm get on the a beach. Little bit closer, I'm on the beach. A little, little bit closer to the water. You'll, we'll have you eventually. This Champions, we're recording during the Champions League. I'm watching the Manchester City-Tottenham game, and I, I didn't interrupt you earlier when you were talking about golf, but Harry Kane might have broken his ankle about 15 minutes ago in real time. No. Uh, it didn't look good. He was hobbling off. Not great. Um, but but son, the South Korean just scored. So there are we sure one, though. One, no. Are we sure he actually got hurt? Okay, so a lot of times they fall and roll around on the ground and then get up and score. Which <laughs> that it's funny you said that because son about thirty seconds before he scored was rolling around on the ground and had to come off for a minute and then he took one of you know they got those little Gatorade packets that's like Gatorade goo and you eat it. He ate one of those, oh, yeah. came back on, scored in thirty seconds. I swear, really happened. But yeah, shout out to Harry Kane. Hope you're okay, buddy. So I made, well, I, like I was listening to your soccer podcast, like you listen to my golf podcast, and they made a statement which I thought was very enlightening. Okay, so Tottenham is probably the team that I like. I don't care at all about the Premier League right now, but I will say I went to a Tottenham game whenever I went to London. You know five or ten years ago, however long it was. And it was brilliant. I loved every second of it. And brilliant. How gosh, British brilliant. of you. Yeah, How right, British yeah. of you. Can't believe that came out of my mouth. <laughs> I had fish and chips at the, at the, at the pitch. <laughs> Went to um, the pub afterwards, had a Guinness. Yeah. And they said on this podcast that Tottenham is always chokes, right? Like, I don't know how long it's been since they've won anything. Don't know, you know, history of soccer at all, but – they, the way they talk about Tottenham, it's like the team that breaks your heart every single year. You know, they think you got a chance and then they choke, which correlates extremely well with my college football fandom and the Georgia Bulldogs. So before I'm in too deep, before I'm all the way in on Tottenham, I really need to reconsider my <laughs> fandom because I, I've got enough heartbreak in my life. I don't, I don't need more heartbreak. It's true. You don't. But on the flip side, Tottenham is not going to get relegated, which is what happened to my favorite team. So you know that Tottenham will always be on TV on Saturdays. You won't have to like buy ESPN 8 to get every other game like I'm doing with Swansea now. I, I bought the ESPN Plus because they're supposed to have the Swansea game. Still haven't got to see one Swansea game. They don't come on it, and I'm paying for it. What, what, so Tottenham may not be the best team, but pick someone who's not going to get relegated is my advice to you. 
I will abide by that advice. With that, let's let's move in t- um, to some MLB. We need to wrap this thing up. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Pirates and Reds incident where Archer went behind – what was that guy's name? I don't, I don't even know his name. But he went the behind – the guy of Dietrich, Derek Dietrich. Yeah, the guy hit a home run off of a Archer. tank. He hit, he hit it a long ways and – then Archer threw behind him because the guy stood there for three days watching the ball. Okay, you're, you're, so you're giving away the the the, the argument we're going to have because you were a little triggered about this. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, Brinch is clear. There seemed like everything was under control, and then Puig took on the entire Pirates <laughs> team, oh, which I do not suggest. <laughs> Um, Why is it that whenever the Pirates get in a brawl, someone on the other team feels the need to fight everyone? Because this was Johnny Cueto like 10 years ago when Johnny right. Cueto took on the whole team by himself. Another is, Pirates that he, is that when he was sitting on the backstop kicking everybody yeah. with this? Oh, no, that, maybe this is a Reds thing. That was a Reds-Cardinals brawl because he was trying to kick Yadier Molina, which good for you. <laughs> you know, Someone's got to kick Yadier Molina. But back, it's beside the point. Back to, back to the Pirates brawl. So, I mean, I think the the fundamental discussion that we need to have about this is Dietrich stood there forever, right? Long time. And then Archer, and then Archer threw behind him. Like, yeah, there was a brawl that – not a brawl. There was an incident, I guess a you could fracas. say. I guess one would say that ensued post-pitch, right? But tell me your thoughts on Archer throwing behind him after he stood there and admired his home run for three days. So you, you left out a very The season started key. to change, Sam. The season started to change. You, you left out a very important piece of this, which when I went back, I was not watching this live. I went back and saw the highlight. The pitch before Dietrich hit a ball into the river, by the way. It went into the river, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it correct bounced. me if I'm wrong. It went in, it's in the river now. The ball's at the bottom of the river. It doesn't matter how it got there. It floats and it the, bounces. The pitch before he hit it in the river, Chris Archer buzzed the tower, threw one right under his hands, and you pitchers do this all the time, and you, you call it establishing command or whatever you guys call it. Complete disrespect for hitters everywhere. You, you, a guy gets a little too comfortable in the box or whatever. He, he made him move his feet. He knocked him down. Next pitch, Dietrich hits one in the river. And stands there for about 30 seconds watching it. Okay. So when I first heard that this happened, I was like, oh, come on. Come on, Chris Archer. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. Then I watched it. It was a bit excessive. Okay. He, he watched it for a long time. But still, you can't throw at a guy, man. This is 2019. Why are we throwing at people? This Okay. If you're going to tell me that Chris Archer is allowed to throw a baseball 96 miles an hour in or around the... The body, like head, back, I don't care. If you can throw a ball 96 miles an hour at me as a batter and that's okay, well, then the next time you strike me out and pump your fist or yell or do anything, well, then my next at bat, I'm going to take a swing at your curveball and I'm going to accidentally let the bat slip out of my hands and let it fly right at you. No one would be okay with that. So why is one thing okay and the other thing is not? It's so frustrating to me as a hitter where the, the hitter has no defense. You just have to stand in the box and wear one and go to first base and act like it's okay. Because pitchers can do whatever they want to, apparently. It's incredible to me. And I was shocked, frankly, by Chris Archer. Because Chris Archer, Chris Archer seems like a very well-spoken and reasonable person. And maybe that's why he threw behind him instead of actually hitting him. I don't know. 
But he he threw it in first. He threw one up and in, an intentional up and in pitch to establish the plate or whatever. And then the next pitch he got beat. Like, you got beat. Grow up. Strike him out next time. Which he did, by the way. Chris Archer did strike him out. But why do you got to throw it in first? Just strike him out. So, okay. There's a lot to unpack here. A lot. Right? There's, there's a lot to unpack here. Let me address the initial ball up and in, okay? Sure. As a pitcher, I'm facing, well, Chris Archer. We'll talk, we'll, we'll talk simply, you know, in, in terms of Chris Archer. Chris Archer. Name names. Chris, Chris Archer is facing the most elite hitters the world has to offer, okay? I mean, I mean Dietrich, these guys. Okay. Derek Dietrich is one of the top. 400 batters in in the world okay like he's classified as that because he's a hitter in the major leagues he's not a catcher right like sometimes catchers are there for defense but all that's beside the point okay he is a real threat obviously he hit a ball a long ways right he is a real threat so what i would have to imagine is I didn't see the first pitch. Okay, I, I, I admit that I didn't see that pitch. But what I have to imagine is Dietrich was leaning over the plate, right? Like he's saying, I'm going to hit the outside pitch. And when somebody's leaning out over and somebody's, you know, trying to reach out and hit stuff, you got to move people around. You know, it, it's something where you got to get somebody out of the position. Now, did Archer buzzing him? Did Archer, you know, saying like, hey, I'm going to come inside. So like I'm going to pitch I'm going to pitch it inside so I wouldn't lean out over the plate. Not in a sense of like I could hit you, but in the sense of like just know that I'm not going to throw everything on the outside corner, right? Like I'm going to come inside. That that's be aware of that, right? Like that's pretty much what he's saying there. Um you know for for a pitcher, like you have to be able to pitch on both sides of the plate. If you narrow the plate to, you know, 6 inches, Hitters, these hitters that are really, really good. Um, no, they're not. Hitters aren't good. I don't know why I'm giving credit. <laughs> um, so you're giving Derek Dietrich a lot of credit. So, so these hitters that supposedly <laughs> are, are really, really good um, are going to have a lot more success if you can only throw the ball in one spot. So you got to open up the plate, which is why I did the first thing. Now, with Dietrich standing there and admiring the home run, bat flips have become a lot more commonplace of late, Okay. I mean, that home run Harper hit in, in Washington, I mean, the, through that bat, I don't know how high in there. Remember the Bautista bat flip? That yes, was it was incredible. You know, it, it's fun. Bat flips are fun. It's a lot of fun. Every other sport has fun. Why can't baseball players have fun? What's the deal? That's why people don't like baseball. Someone has too much fun and gets hit in the back of the head. What are we doing? Sorry, I'll let you finish it, your argument. It, people can absolutely have fun, but... Like don't don't show up your teammate. Like if would think about this, right? Think about golf. Okay, think about if you know two people are playing each other. I guess golf's not a good example because um, you know they're they don't never actually play each other except in a match play event. But like think about in tennis where like at, at Wimbledon, if Rafael Nadal like won a set and you know, did a Muhammad Salah and took his shirt off and screamed, you know, like it's, he, Dietrich didn't win the game. He just put one run up on the board. You know, it's, it's sportsmanship that has, you know, been a fundamental element of the game for the last 
a hundred years where you do things a certain way because that's what this game was like honestly like sort of built on is sportsmanship and respect and um which is part of the reason why it's america's pastime you know it's just sort of classic i'm not saying that stuff can't change i'm not saying that like baseball is not in a period of evolution because it is obviously if you see how the game's changing stuff is changing right before our very eyes but i'm just saying that you need to have respect for people that's all i that's all i have to say obviously i'm gonna side with the pirates in this matter so well you're not this gonna is give okay. me to talk any all right i'm not i'm not this is not ill will toward, directed towards the pirates we love the pirates uh you know big pirates podcast I, this is merely an incident to talk about a broader topic for me you mentioned Mohamed Salah, rips his shirt off. It was fantastic. If if Rafa if Rafa Nadal ripped his shirt off at Wimbledon, I would be one hundred percent more likely to watch Wimbledon. I'm not going to watch <laughs> Wimbledon, but if you know, if they were celebrating and doing stuff like that, I might. You know, and think about it this way: if I'll use I'll use two examples. I'll use soccer example first. If after Mohamed Salah rips his shirt off and screams into the crowd, if the next play one of the Southampton players just came over and forearm shivered him in the back of the head. That's not okay. Like you can't do that. Okay. He showed you up, whatever. Like you, you can't physically attack someone because you didn't like the way they act. If in the NBA, if Russell Westbrook comes down the lane and dunks all over someone, what's he going to do? He's going to stand there and stare him down. And, and then what's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. He, You're not going to get yeah, Rambus so, coming off the second row to, to eat DDT <laughs> someone. It's not 1988. Like, you're going to keep playing. If you show, if you show, some, if you show somebody up in basketball, there's an altercation. There's no altercations. Everybody's BFFs. If it's, if it's 1988, there will be an altercation. In 2019, there's no altercation. You live in, you go, you go on. And when you dunk on him the next time, you show him up right back. And we can all be friends after it's over. It's a game. Like we're supposed why to have do you fun. Need to sh- why do you need to show people up? Why do you Let need me, to okay. celebrate? Like, hey, what, I just I hit this bomb. I, supposed to, I like, just did something great. No. And walk around the bases and just act I like, just, I, oh, no, I, I'm not happy at all. I didn't, didn't hit a home run in the major leagues. I'm really – I'm sorry. Sorry, your, your highness. I didn't mean to hit a home run off of you. What do you want me to do? It's, it's not about – it's about the the fundamental fact of a player that hits a ball that goes a long ways and saying not needing to to say hey everybody look at me I hit a ball a long ways so like look at me look at me look at me but like he didn't need to do that for everybody to be like oh my gosh like that ball was hit really really far okay right like he was celebrating himself doing something great like let your teammates celebrate that you know let the fans celebrate that don't celebrate yourself like if i was uh the teammates of Salah, i'd be you know happy for him that he scored the goal and happy for the team like the fact that he wanted to celebrate by himself like that's selfish right Um, this is why this is why people don't like baseball anymore and i hate it because in other sports you're allowed to celebrate like you're allowed to take some pride in doing an awesome thing. Like hitting a ball 500 feet off one of the best pitchers in the league is awesome. Now, it is my my personality, I would in no way do what Dietrich did, okay? I wouldn't do it. That's not how I would handle it. But if you put yourself in him in his shoes, one pitch before, you know, 20 seconds real time before, you had a ball come within about six inches of your eyes, right? You pick yourself up off the ground. That triggers a reaction in you. Your heart's beating faster. 
You can hear your heart, your heartbeat in your ears. Your, your adrenaline is pumping, right? You thought you were about to get hit in the head with a ball. If the next pitch you inflict like this, you're able to, to get your revenge in such a way, like the best way you possibly can as a hitter. The best thing you can do is hit a home run off a guy. That emotion is still in your body. So I can't blame a guy for letting it come out like that, you know? And well, it's, it's, it's different because if, if, you, if you think about pitchers and you think about pitchers celebrating outs, right, celebrating outs at the, at the end of innings, it's, it's usually what? It's usually a big fist pump, right? It's usually a, a glove slap. Um, and that's not a, like, yes, like, look at me. I just, I just caved this guy. It's you know, a, sometimes like, it I is. got out now, of this inning. Now, how can you say that the pitcher is not being selfish when he's celebrating, but the batter is being selfish when he's celebrating? That's ridiculous, and that's biased. Like, if you're going to say you can't celebrate, then you can't celebrate. Like, don't, don't be wishy-washy with it and say that some people can celebrate and some people can't. If we're going to say that you can't celebrate individually, then just say that. And I think it's ridiculous, and I think you should be able to. But this is this this scenario is uh, is like the 99th percentile of ridiculousness from a batter, right? You're never going to see someone stare down a home run in a regular season game as long as Dietrich did. It was crazy. He shouldn't have done that. And I'm that not saying said, I'm not saying that hitters can't sell. Like you see a lot of times, hitter hit ball, hitters hit ball, and like run down the line with the fists in the air, or like a you know, a sort of a jump out of the box or, um, you know, a bat flip, something like that. Like that stuff happens. And I, and I think that, you know, as baseball, we've sort of become more accustomed to that, but something so over the top like that, you know, I, I don't know. You can't hit Personally, a guy for it though. Okay. You can't put a guy's livelihood and health in jeopardy because you didn't like it. Like we can right. admit, we can admit right. that Dietrich was in the wrong. Like he shouldn't have done that. Okay. We can also admit that it was an emotional moment. It was a moment where he was feeling a lot of emotion based on what had just happened. He was feeling he was feeling like Archer tried to knock him down and he had won that battle. And his emotional reaction was to gloat and stare, you know, be like, I just beat you. Look what I just did to you. Okay, we can admit that that's not the best way to handle that. We can, we can also admit that Chris Archer sitting on it, stewing for three innings, thinking about it for three innings, and then coming back and making a conscious decision to throw at a guy when he has no way to defend himself is weak. It's just weak. It is. Like do something. We, we do. do do something else. Like you can't. There's no way for Dietrich to defend himself in that situation. And you're just going to take there's, a cheap shot at him. I like, mean, I, I'll say I'll say this. There's there's absolutely no reason to put somebody's like career on the line. You know which. Um, Take that, take that as you will. But that's my um, big. That's why I'm so fired up about it. I just don't like a pitcher can throw at a guy, and then there's no there's no recourse except to have a fight about it because there's nothing the batter can do. You know, there's no there's nothing you can't respond in kind to a guy throwing a baseball at you as hard as he can. There's nothing else you can do except have a fight, and then we end up fighting. Which, if we want to fight in baseball, that's fine. I mean, hockey does it, but you know, we just have a discussion about where we're at as a sport. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Is like. We're we're talking about all this in you know in the in the, through the lens of where baseball is currently, right? Like you look at other sports, and if you incorporate the elements of other sports, we'd have a completely different discussion about all this. I I think you know um, you know the basis of this argument comes from you know the facts of where baseball currently is, and 
you know, their um, allowance of celebrations, their allowance for, you know, how the game's always been played. And, um, you know, yeah. I will say, yeah. yeah. Baseball's way behind other sports in this area. And there are, there are instances where it's, you know, for the best. Like the, the tradition of baseball is part of what makes it great. And the history of baseball is part of what makes it great. Um, well, I just don't I'll, like this I'll, particular piece. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, if baseball's played this way in America, um, you know, I've never been to, to Venezuela or the Dominican Republic to play, but those guys play with passion and those guys play with flair. Um, because, of course, I've played with a lot of them. But if you look at winter leagues or if you look at the World Baseball Classic and you watch those teams, um, I mean, there's so much passion and there's so much, like I said, flair. And, you know, that's just the way it happens, right? Somebody hits a, somebody hits a home run and, you know, pimps the heck out of it. And that's just like just how they play the game, right? So this is just how we play the game right now in America. It's it's um, 100% a cultural thing. And I what here here's what I wish. One more thing and then we can get out of here. What I wish Archer would have done, and he he in the post game they interviewed him, and, and this is what he said. You know, he said it's fine. He can do whatever he wants to. I struck him out his next two at bats. I wish he would have struck him out his next next two at bats, and then kind of stared him down on the way off. I feel like that would have been fun. That, like that would have been that would have that added been an element. Would have been able to added an element of rivalry, and no one has to get thrown at. No one has to get punched. Yasiel Puig doesn't have to fight an entire twenty five man roster by himself. Which, by the way, could somebody help Puig out? Like. Like what are That's we, why, tough, man. Why are, I mean, I know that you don't want him to get suspended, which, well, you know, once he starts going like that, he's going to get suspended. But, like, did, could any of the Reds, like, help 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 somebody out here? You know, maybe back your teammate up? What are we doing? Why is he fighting everybody by himself? Come on. Yeah. Personally, I love seeing all the Pirates there, you know, together. Like, that was, that was pretty cool. I, I feel bad for Puig, though. I don't know if it was one of those <laughs> situations where he was isolated, you know, from, like, a location standpoint. And that was reactionary, and nobody had the time to get there because people came over there, you know. Oh well, every, yeah, all um, the Reds were out there, and it looked. But like just like that, that picture, that picture was so like. It's not a good look. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's not a good look, and it um, looked like Votto was like Votto was trying to pull him off the pile, and Puig said after the game, I don't know if you heard his interview, but he said that he was so mad because like he understands Dietrich's point of view. Like Yasiel Puig is one of those Latin guys who plays with passion. He plays with flair. He bat flips singles like he is. He's just that kind of player who's very. Licks his bat. He licks his bat. He's expressive. He's emotional. He could. He appeals to a large, you know, not your typical baseball fan. And he he viewed what you know what Archer did as a as a shot on the way he plays the game, which is why he got so upset about it. So there's a little context there, but still, I mean, somebody's got to you know don't don't make don't make a guy fight everyone on his own. Come on. Good discussion. This was the most hot takey first take argument we've ever had on the podcast. It was great. It I was. enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Embrace um, debate, Coley. Embrace hit, debate. Hit uh, hit us up as always. Tell us what your thoughts are on that argument. Who's going to win the Masters NCAA tournament? Rick Barnes, Rick Bird, um, pimento <laughs> cheese sandwiches. You can think about. Um, and yeah. Anything and everything. Always on Twitter at Informal US, or you could obviously call in and leave us a voicemail, which we would prefer. We'll post that online with the tweet of the podcast. So I'm um, looking forward to hearing from you. It was, you know, thank you as always for, for listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>